Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And listen, I wish I had known and, and had a little bit of foresight, and shame on me, that's error host, that I, I am rocking a, a pullover, and my guest, as you're watching on YouTube, ha has come dressed to the nines this morning. I guess the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, when, when you're Matt Crump, you show up everywhere dressed to the nines. And uh, I and need to take for success, my friend. I'm trying my best to dress for success. That's right. <laughs> he, he is a pastor. He's a transformational coach, consultant, a speaker, an author, and a podcast host of Hope Revealed, the social movement TV series, and the flip by Matt Crump. And, and, and there's probably about 100 more things that he's into that we'll get into. But it is an honor today to have Matt Crump here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Matt, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing better than with you now, Brian. We had some good prayers starting everything off this morning, and I really appreciate you, man. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I'm glad to be here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. That's really what it's all about. And you believe in that. And let's, let's start there. That's a great place to start. You, you believe in, in the power of encouragement. You're trying to uh, help and encourage people. I love what, what it says in your LinkedIn bio. I'm going to read this real quick. Would you like the unlocking abundance in your business, career, and life? Resilience, clarity, and culture make or break the bottom line. That's intentional encouragement right there. That's encouraging folks that, hey, there is more out there to be had. What are you finding as you as you, in your community? I want to, I always like to get a perspective of this. What are you seeing people needing encouragement with the most right now in your area as, as we as we continue to navigate through COVID nineteen? Yeah, it's um, it's been doubt and fear that I've seen the most. Um, that was only heightened by COVID, uh, but it was there before COVID. So COVID's not an excuse for that. Uh, it's just another area that's heightened those problems for a lot of people. And those areas come into uh, clarity and focus on what that person uh, is supposed to do, what's their real calling. Um, do they even know what calling means? Um, are they focused and clear enough on what they're here to do and who they're here to serve? And do they think that they don't have the ability to reach people because they don't have any money? So, you know, those are some of the things that you see quite often. Uh, with people in their in their businesses um, and in their lives that I've, that I've noticed anyway. Matt, you live in an area, and, and I, I love that, what you're saying there about service and how you can help people. You live in an area very close to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I've, I've yeah. done spent a lot of time in that area, a, a heavy area for military uh, service-oriented people come in, they go Our out. military base in the world is right here at Fort Bragg. Yeah, right there at Fort Bragg. When you look at service, and, and, and you guys see it every day in the community as you walk among people that are, again, that are coming in, they're going out, things like that, what do you see that most people don't recognize or realize about service? Uh, well, yeah, you're right. And uh, I'm I'm retired military, so that's one of the reasons why it was easier to live in a town like this, getting out of the military, because it still feels 
that kind of a feel like what do you think you're supposed to do when you were in the infantry and in the war and you get out of the army like uh what do you what can you do i can shoot people uh i can <laughs> i can aim you stuff you should have come to west virginia you'd fit right in up here man <laughs> yeah this is my cousin my wife mary come on over here <laughs> yeah well so, i think in service what i really will find about that is is a selflessness right so uh, for me i've uh i kind of got upset about a word a long time ago a friend of mine and i did and and he's originally from huntington west virginia as well his name is chad and um we were really kind of tooling over this word volunteer because a lot of people think volunteer is about service and you know doing their best to help people i really have determined that volunteering has a lot more to do with the person volunteering than what's being volunteered for. Because you feel pretty good about yourself when you volunteer for something. I donated blood. I gave food at the at the food bank. I helped people downtown with some clothes. I helped a family do so and so, right? And he's like, I feel pretty good. I did something good for people. That one time you went back home, right? Now, some people, they do it on a, on a regular basis. Not as many, very few. But yeah. most will just do something because they volunteered, right? Even volunteering at church, right? There's not enough skin in the game. So what the difference between volunteering, the word I coined is, the word is called servanteer. So I think the difference between a volunteer and a servanteer is for volunteering, it's all about you. Mm -hmm. A servanteer, it's all about you. So there's a big difference in the way that you would focus on what you're doing. And servanteerism has nothing. People don't even know your name if you're a servanteer. People don't even see you if you're a servanteer. And that's the way you like it, right? It's not yeah. that you're an introvert. It's that it's not about me. It's not about people seeing me. I would rather do this and not even be seen. There's even scripture that talks about that. Don't let, no, let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right? So I think that there's that. So in this community, there is a lot of servanteerism, I guess, of another word there for us today, um, that occurs only because of the type of community that we have that's so diversified with the military uh, being in this town. We've got over 400,000 people that live in our county. And, uh, you know, at least, I think it's at least almost half of that is, is from Fort Bragg. Um, I don't remember the numbers lately, but that's around the same, same about number. So there's a lot of people here that, and then the, as you mentioned before, the turnover is crazy. So you'll see turnover here in this town about every couple of years. So at church, yeah. we were used to seeing families come and go every two to three years. And, uh, you know, you almost hate getting connected to families yeah. because they're going to be gone. You're like, Oh man, we love these people so much and they have to go. But the cool part about a town like this, especially when talking about specifically just in church and church ministry is when you spend time to invest in those families that are military, that are moving on. Um, when you, when you invest in them as disciples and really teach them how to do things and, and answer their call in their life, then when they leave this town, they're no longer just leaving to go to the next duty station. They're missionaries. Yeah. And they're on a mission yeah. to take what they have and go to their next place. And and the people that here are here, which one of the things that the biggest attack is uh, from the enemy in our community is relationships, is um, is that they go around the entire world from here. When they leave here, they go everywhere in the world. So it's a pretty amazing kind of a place. That's one of the reasons why Fayetteville, North Carolina is uh, one of the top four in our entire region from uh, West Virginia down to Georgia in sex trafficking, is sex slave trafficking. Uh, Fayetteville, right at the, our mall at Cross Creek Mall is where they're snagged the most in our community. Number four in all of the metropolitan areas are, is, uh, is uh, Fayetteville. Now that was uh, statistics as of 
I think two years ago, know what the new statistic is. Hope it's not any worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, there's a lot that goes on. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things back to servantierism that is important about understanding the, the importance of other people, right? And I know that area well. There's there's a uh, there's a Chili's there that I would have eaten at a few times, and, yeah, right, and at the mall. right at the right at the mall, and and it's a beautiful area. I mean, if you go to Fayetteville, North Carolina, it's a really nice area to go because there's a lot of things to do and things like that. But to your point, it's a very transient community. And Matt, I love what you said there. A couple of things I want to park on here real quick. A couple of things you said is when people come in to your church or they come into the community and you, you say, well, you know, we're investing in them, but they're leaving, you know, maybe the Lord, and I've seen this a lot of times being in church all my life and being around ministry all my life is, that, that the Lord tends to send people into your life for a season so that, that maybe what you have to offer them and can give them, invest in them, makes them more, a more powerful disciple when they leave you than when they're with you. Yeah. And absolutely. maybe, maybe that's what that, that was there for their timing. And I love what you said about the difference between volunteerism and servitism, you know, it, it, and, and again, I love that. The volunteer, it almost reminds me of the story that Jesus talked about with the Pharisees is, is like, well, you know, you want the, the best seats in the marketplace. You want to say, I fast of, of, you know, I fast three times a week and I tithe and I do this and I do that. And I think a lot of times we have forgotten that, you know, in, in our society, it's like, well, I did this and I did that. You should never, the Bible says what you do in secret, God rewards you openly. And so I think we have a, a misconception of, what it really looks like to serve or what it really looks like to lead or what it really looks like for this or that. When you coach people, what's the biggest misconception they have about leadership? You've been a pastor. You've led people. What's the biggest misconception that you see around leadership? Yeah, I think that um, if I could try to sum that up, it would probably be um, that that most leaders, well, there's a couple things for leadership. One, they're they're leading in fear or from fear, leading in fear to to be a dominator and someone who is uh, sometimes micromanaging, but at least dominating and trying to make things happen the way they want it to happen. That's it because we got certain things to achieve, goals to achieve, numbers to achieve, whatever. Uh, or the fear of their superior. Right, the superior of that person who's like breathing down their neck to say you got to do this and do that and do this and do that, and then uh, it comes across quite differently in their leadership style. One of the main things that's missing in leadership and has been for a very, very long time, uh, if you if you go back into the late 1800s to the first uh, 20 years of the 1900s, uh, we had this major industrial boom that occurred, and everything started happening. We got telephones, we got automobiles, we got electricity. We we got lights, we got all steel, all these things started happening that really, that set us up for who we are today. Everything then happened, right? And they had a few things there and, and something that we're missing. There were, there were three main things. You had resources, plenty of it. You had money, plenty of it. And the one thing we're missing now, relationships. Wow. They valued relationships back then, right? So now, Relationships is taken out of the factor now with what we have. I would say 
that if relationships are brought back into the mix with corporations and world, right? Because there's no such thing as, as a relationship in corporate. That's brought back into the mix. I think we'd see another big boom like we did back at that turn of the century because we've missed it for a very long time. That happens. Uh, it changes everything. Um, so I think that's one of the big things that we're missing is relationship intentional as you, your word here you have, which is so important. And what I think is important too, is that it's intentional, not intentional, uh, to use as a weapon, but intentional because it's an authentic thing. It's real. Like it's really, you want to, like, I really would want to be treated like this, like do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of culture shifts that have to occur for that to happen in the marketplace. Um, but you know, I think when it comes to that leadership, those are two places of fear that are, there are big uh, areas for a lot of leaders, and then not really knowing how to navigate outside of those places because they don't want to seem as too much of a pushover or or not smart enough or not strong enough or whatever. All those things occur. So uh, I think that's some some of the top of the list there. I love that. I, we, we, we'll dive into that more here in just a moment we're going to step aside take a break be back just a moment here on the intentional encourage podcast Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Matt, I want to park there for what you just said there a minute ago. And, and, and I've said this as well, too. It is the biggest thing that I think that, that leaders can work on to, and I want to piggyback off of re the relationship part of what you just said is I've said this, I've said, listen, if leaders will intentionally encourage their people, they'll see incredible things in their teams because encouraged people are empowered people. And you've right. seen this in ministry as well. When someone is facing a, a desperate situation, that is the time where encouragement just just floods them and hope. And, and, I, and I'm reminded of a quote, one of my favorite quotes by Zig Ziglar. He said, encouragement's the fuel that powers hope. And, you know, in, in ministry, you see that as well, because when people are going through rough times, man, nothing helps that person like encouragement. I want to get to your book real quick. God's got this. I love that that chapter. It's way better than people buy from people. I can tell you that right now. God's got this. I want to I want to talk about the genesis of your book and and how that came about and, and and what was kind of that aha moment you had in writing your book that that you didn't realize before as you were going through the process. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I've been battling cancer for almost 10 years now, and uh, the stage four between 2015 and just last year, and uh, up and down in that last year, I uh, had my last brain surgery uh, almost a year ago now. And after that brain surgery, my second one I had was my first really all clear sc uh, scan. I still have a spot that's by my adrenal gland where the uh, cancer originally started and, and took my adrenal gland out. But um, it's just kind of been there. It doesn't had hadn't done anything in, in the past few years. So you know, we kind of just watch it. But, uh, you know, it's not like we're, they're worried about. Let me jump in here. You are a walking miracle because you said two things there. And I'm familiar with with that. You said stage four. Which is the worst of the worst. And you said brain cancer. You should be, for all intents and purposes, either dead. I mean, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. No, I've been what told many times by doctors that I was already supposed to be dead. You should and, be dead uh, or, or or not as as highly functional as you are. Because yeah, when very, you very when important. yeah, when you operate on the brain, that is the most delicate of delicate areas. I mean, this the slightest nick or movement or something could could have yeah. rendered could render Hi, my you, name is Bob. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Well, again, I don't, I've never had anything happen to my brain and, and I, you know, if, if something did, it would be just, it would just be the end of that because you know, what little mind I have left it, somebody, hey, Matt, somebody told me, they said, you've lost, my wife said, you've lost your mind. And I looked at her, I said, you can't lose what you've never had, you know, <laughs> yeah, said, so, bad. you know, but, but let, take me and, and we're going to get into that story a little bit more, but man, I love what you said there about you know, walking through that journey and things like that, was it easy for you to tap into those emotions as you started writing? I know for me, when I started writing and telling stories about my late father who gave me the quote, people buy from people, there were times I had to step away from it because I missed my dad. I missed the, the godly influence of my dad. As you began writing the book, how hard was it for you to keep your emotions in check as you began telling your story? Um, it wasn't that difficult because I had had to deal with it for so long. However, there was spaces of time during that time that were extremely difficult for me. My first brain tumor, um, brain operation with a brain tumor was a bleeding brain tumor. And I had about 24 to 48 hours to live according to the brain doc. Uh, I didn't know it. I just thought that I was having a migraine headache or something. It turned out that I had a bleeding brain mass. I was about to die. So uh, they medevaced me back to Duke and uh, did the surgery. Um, and then that recovery from that particular surgery, I've had, uh, well, I had a tumor in my adrenal gland by my muscle wall, the kidney leg, but I had a lung tumor and then it went to my brain. So I've had all that that's happened, not to mention all the, the treatments and trials and radiation treatments and uh, surgeries and all the other kind of mess. Um, you know, and, all, and, all and let's put it. a little perspective. I, I'm mad. I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to, I want to give the audience a little bit of perspective in the state of North Carolina and even in, in, in Southwestern Virginia and West Virginia, where we are Duke university is probably the leading cancer center in this region. Uh, I have a good friend of mine in Charleston. His wife went there for, for geoblastoma. And we're going to have him on the podcast here very soon. Had his sister on a few weeks ago. Folks from our area, we're six hours from Durham. 
we're about five and a half to six hours, but yet folks go to Duke University for treatment. And I'm sure it's the same thing in, in, in knowing the state of North Carolina, like I know it, Duke is the place you want to go for that type of treatment. Um, tell me about, and, and the reason I, I jumped off there real quick to interrupt you, tell me about the time that you spent at Duke and, and kind of the care you got there and things like that. I'm not trying to do a commercial for Duke, but again, I, I want people to understand you went to probably the best facility that you could go to in your state and in several states. Yeah, I'm very, very blessed, blessed, very fortunate. There are other great cancer uh, hospitals and research hospitals um, in North Carolina. There's several that are fantastic. And uh, for me, obviously, I'm a big fan of Duke because I'm still here, right? So um, <laughs> I, give them, I give them a lot of credit for that. I mean, I feel God put me in the right place at the right time. Just turns out that um, at the time of my uh, diagnosis, the uh, the person who was on staff at Duke, the leading professor and research uh, doc for the type of melanoma cancer that I had became my doctor. And it just turned out that that strand of what I had, what she was studying was the same thing. So I got like the best doctor, the most highest research person. And I was always part of a trial, always part of something that they would do to try to figure out what's going on with me. Cause my, my uh, battle with this cancer has been very very long and tedious and uh, very interesting to them in the sense of something that they've not seen before. It just was really difficult to try to figure out in some places. And right now they're still kind of like, you know, we just take it day by day. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you know, it could be fine right now, or you could have another brain tumor next week or, you know, just don't know. But uh, right now we're looking pretty good. Uh, thank, thank the Lord for that. So, you know, Duke has been fantastic in the sense of their service and their ability to help me uh, process some things. Uh, specifically, uh, I have some negatives too. I don't want to go too negative. I mean, I think you find positive and negatives of every situation. There's some things that I didn't care for on the, on the hindsight of where I'm at right now. Some things I didn't know to ask, some questions I was ignorant of, right, that I didn't know. Now sure. I do. I wish I would have known, you know, but that doesn't change anything. Um, when I was, when I had the, the brain tumor, the um, bleeding brain mass I rushed to the hospital for, um, the night that I was there, like all my family came in to see me, they all drove in and everybody had left, I think to get something to eat or something. And a new nurse came on, on duty. And, uh, she walked into the room, this, um, this young angel girl walks in the, in the door and she's nice and sweet and checking on me, seeing how I'm doing. We started chatting a little bit. Of course I had my big beard back then. And, uh, she started to ask me a couple of questions. And it were you trying out for Duck Dynasty? That's what I want to know. Were you trying <laughs> no, out for? No, no. Were you trying it out for? Part of my, it was all part of my cancer battle. I uh, I really felt like one of the first things that cancer does for anybody is you lose your hair. And I thought I'm going to let my beard grow out and I'm going to let it grow to the ground because I'm going to be the one to decide when when this hair comes off, not cancer. And that's when I cut it off uh, recently after that that last brain surgery I had, and that gave me a, a clear. Otherwise, I'd have, I'd have looked like this guy in the, in the illustration back here with that huge beard. So, Well, I was going to say I need to I, – I, I wanted to say I didn't know if you were trying out for Duck Dynasty or not. I didn't know if I needed to contact my buddy Al Robertson and, <laughs> and uh, put you in contact with, with them. But the, no yeah, – you should have called me about five five months ago. I've been the, been the deal, you know? You know what? I love what you said there. I, I want to park here for just a minute because you're 100% right. You do not – and I was thinking this as you were saying what you were saying. Chemotherapy 
is hard, hard, hard on your body. It's hard. I've watched people go through it. It's hard on their bodies. You do not look like a, quote, cancer patient. You do not look like somebody that has that is a cancer survivor. And I, and I love what you said there about, hey, you know what? They told me I was going to lose my hair, so I just decided to grow it in a place that most people don't lose their hair, grow it on my face. And, and was that a motivation for you? To continue to fight was yeah, the, was, was the beer. Saying. That was part yeah. of my fight. I did that intentionally, just not even because they said anything, just because I, anybody knows when you get cancer and start any kind of treatment, you're going to probably lose your hair, right? So I just did it. And, uh, and it ended up being a really big part of my fight for several years. I had the beard for almost five years. Um, so many people that are following me on social media may have only known me ever as the guy with that long beard, right? So I cut it off. People are like, oh, I can't believe it. You look so different. Well, I was like, well, I mean, you just watched some of my videos a few years ago and you'll see the other guy, right? But uh, nevertheless, it was part of my part of my battle. And um, and I was very, very blessed to uh, to be able to, to still be here and your to your your statement about how I look. Um, you know, that's been a blessing too. I've gone up and down a little bit of weight, but not not too much in the whole process. I think God really just has specifically watched over me. I do have a lot of physical issues that are um, very big nuisance in my life. A lot of things that are, that are uh, supposedly going to be permanent damage. You know, I'm believing that if God can heal me of stage four cancer uh, with the worst strain of melanoma known to man, then I'm thinking... He can handle some of my uh, my side effect issues as well, right? I have a lot of issues from a lot of the treatments that I've been on and some of the side effects of the treatments. I was on immunotherapy. I was on the immunotherapies that you see on TV, and they have these pairs of immunotherapies and whatnot. And when I was going through it, it was still uh, relatively new, still through trial. And I, they tried me on another trial, which almost killed me. Um, so it was very toxic to the body in lots of, lots of ways. So it's like I'm the guy in the commercial that says, you know, you could try this, and you will – you won't have cancer again, but you'll have. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the guys that they watch to say, oh, man, had this, man, had this, man, had, add that to the list, add that to the list, add that to the list, add that to the list. Yeah, you know, you just, quite, you're, you're just a walking. A, yeah, you know what? You're, you're, just a, you're just a walking medical journal, man. That's all it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's been quite interesting, and the quality of life still still sucks pretty bad. I have to really I have to really put it on to make it happen every day. But um, yeah, it's getting a little better as as we go. You know, back to that that gal that walked in the room. She ended up praying with me, and um, and we just had an instant bond. And uh, went through the surgery. Um, then they moved me, but she was already off of work. But then she came by to see me after she got off of work, wanted to see how I was doing, met my family. Then she came back again and came back again. Well, it ended up into a situation where she really turned into a daughter, a daughter for me, for our family. She became such like a sister to the kids. Um, and we had a relationship that lasted for a few years. And um, I just loved her like I love my own kids. And she was so passionate. She would come from, she lived in Raleigh, we're in Fayetteville, so she would drive an hour and a half. She'd come spend a weekend with us and stay because she didn't have family where she was at and didn't exactly have the best of experiences growing up. So to have us as a family was a big deal to her. Um, so we had this really, really tight bond. And then she decided that she wanted to, to leave Raleigh and go back to uh, to Washington State where she lived and wanted to try to do something different with her life. She just felt like she wanted to do something different. 
So she came by, said goodbye, and it was a tough goodbye because we didn't know when we'd see each other again and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, unfortunately, within about a year or so after she had left, uh, she was a traveling nurse, and she was coming back from a uh, – she was coming back from uh, seeing somebody, and it was a really bad night and a really bad snowstorm. And uh, she ended up having um, a head-on collision with a semi-truck on the way home and was instantly killed. Mm. And um, it was it was horrific. Um, so I was flown back to uh, to Washington to do the funeral and to speak at her funeral, you know, to preach there the whole nine yards, which was really hard as well. Uh, they didn't want anybody to see the body because it wasn't that it wasn't in good enough shape to be seen, but um, they they let a few of us go in to see her, to be able to say goodbye, and I was one of them. And uh, the whole time, we've always had this thing with God's got this and my God's got this bracelets that we wear and stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, there she was in her casket, with the God's got this bracelet on her wrist. Um, it was a tough moment to see that. Um. The only peace I have in the situation with her is, is that with the injuries that she had, um, she was definitely killed on impact. Um, I just feel with a girl like her, who is such a, an incredible person, such a loving spirit, such a great example of Jesus, that um, I just feel like it had to be at that last moment, right before she got ready to hit that truck. I just feel like it was... Jesus came to her and said, all right, okay, let's go. It's time to go. And he took her. I don't think she felt anything. Um, so that was a tough, tough situation for me. And that all came back from me having a brain tumor, meeting her at Duke and her becoming part of our family. Um, so when you asked me what my experience was like at Duke, you know, that's part of what my experience was like at Duke. And uh, I'll never forget it the rest of my life. Wow. That is so incredibly powerful let's step aside take a quick break we're, we're going to dive more into that and and much more with matt crump here just a moment on the intentional encourager podcast Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector you've got to pick up a copy of people buy from people there are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector you can go to amazon and pick it up kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way or now available on audible and there's one other way you can get a copy of people buy from people you can get one from me and i'll sign it for you you go to intentional media and publishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast.
Matt, I've got to think in that moment, how much did that rock your faith? Because I'd been through sudden loss with my dad. You know, I, I, and I tell people, and I was just telling my wife this morning, we were talking about something. And I said, the thing that I understood about sudden loss after my dad passed away, there are far more questions than there are answers because you, you just want to say, Lord, why, how, what, who, and, and you, you just said something so beautiful. It was just, it was almost as if the Lord just kind of said in that moment, well done. I know this is the, this is the way it's supposed, you know, it, it, it's going to end. It's, it, it's time to go. What was that moment like for you being there in that moment? Did it, did it strengthen your faith seeing her with that bracelet on? What Take me through the emotions of that, because if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see Matt's face. He's emotional talking about it. And I would be too. What did that do to your faith? Did it increase your faith? Did it, did it diminish your faith? Because Moments like that can either can go one way or the other, as you know, being in ministry as long as you have. Yeah, well, you know, I was also there to serve. I mean, they brought me in because the whole family, most of them didn't have a church home, didn't have a solid faith. And um, I was there trying to kind of put some things together. And there was, unfortunately, a, a rift in the family and a little bit of a feud. And um, I was the... Uh, I was Switzerland in the case, you know, um, so it was pretty tough. The, the one thing that was even harder was that her, she, she had a fiance and they were, they were about to be married within two weeks of her being killed. Um, so he was having it really hard and, and I was there a lot for him, uh, because of what he was experiencing, he and I were together alone in the room with her. Uh, it was a very somber, powerful moment. It was more of a, a chance to, to really say goodbye. You know, I felt like I had a chance to say goodbye to her that I felt like I missed out on, you know, I was very blessed to have that moment with her, although I hated to see what was there, you know, but, um, at that point it was just her, her shell, obviously. I mean, I knew she was with the Lord, but it, I needed that, I guess. Um, but for the most part about my faith, I didn't, um, I was, it was exciting to see, that she still had that connection with me like that, you know, something that didn't go away for her either, which meant a lot to me personally as her, the relationship we had, right? Then to know her faith and where she was at with people, how she would serve. She was a big servanteer. She did anything for any, anybody. Um, so that was a really powerful, powerful place. And, and interestingly enough, my, uh, my message at the funeral was called Why? Um, and that's the biggest question a lot of people ask. And there were so many people that showed up because she was popular in the community. It was a very small town in Washington. There's these little tiny towns in Washington state. And, uh, she was a popular sports gal. She did soccer and she was working on the soccer team there at come back. So she was actually coaching the team that she was on as a championship gal, right? She was big into sports. Um, so there was a lot of people that were there for her. A lot of people that loved her. And a lot of those people would all be asking that question. Why God, why would you let this happen? Why her, why would this happen? Right. All those questions. And I heard it from people and I knew it was happening. Heck I asked the question, right. Yeah. 
So um, I was very fortunate to hear a word from God about, about why, and I was able to deliver that message to people, which I think um, made a big difference for a lot. That's what they, a lot of them told me afterwards. And uh, it really helped me to, to focus in on some of those why questions that I have now from other people. I, I now, you know, I save the sermon, obviously, I say the message, and I've used it for, uh, for other reasons and other situations. But um, that's one of the toughest questions. And, and honestly, there's nothing wrong with that question. God's big enough. He's big enough to handle those questions. It doesn't, it doesn't bother him as much as it bothers us. It, he hates our hurt, but he's not afraid for people to ask him why or to be actually ticked off at him while they're asking it, right? Um, he would expect that. That's why he gave us the emotions that we have. Uh, they're very powerful. But I think having a resource and understanding things a little bit better when you feel like you don't have an answer is helpful. Now, I'm not saying that my message is like the answer for everybody in the world, not going to happen. Um, but I think it helped. I think it helped a lot. It helped me, help a lot of people there to, to frame things in a little different perspective to understand that, that word why uh, with a kind of um, because. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Well, and, and again, you know, that if you understand the nature of God, for those of you that may not be Christians or religious people per se, you know, the nature of God is to be a father. And, and my son, and I'll go here for just a quick second, Matt. My son would always ask me, Dad, I need to understand why. And and I would go to him at times and I would go, buddy, sometimes I I can't in that moment tell you why. I just need you to to do what I've asked you to do. And and it goes back to what what God truly values is obedience. Because in, in the Old Testament, he, he, he told Saul through, through the prophet Samuel, obedience is better than sacrifice. It's better than worship, you know, just to be obedient. And a lot of times we just say, God, I don't understand why, but okay, I submit myself to what you want to do. Matt, I feel like for the next few minutes, there's another obstacle in life that you've overcome that, that you can share with this audience and you've been so candid about your struggles with stage four cancer, brain tumor, kidney and lung. And in that moment, that really impactful moment of losing someone close to you that became such an integral part of your family. Is there another moment that comes to mind that was a, a great obstacle in your life? And what was the biggest lesson that you overcame or learned from overcoming that? Yeah, I went back up to, um, Right when I left for uh, high school, I was more running away than uh, than going to the army. I, I was just a a broken kid, and I didn't have answers, and I wanted to try something different, so I joined the army. Um, but in the midst of that time, I was already on the path to being a drug addict and alcoholic. And when I got into the military. Um, Oddly enough, I found I had more access to drugs and alcohol than I did before I joined the Army. So it didn't make things better. It made things quite worse. Um, and I, I have lots of stories I could go through there. However, the, the end of the story with all the crazy drug life you can imagine with crack and cocaine. And, and I lived down south in California. So with uh, going across the border to Tijuana and different places. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that I went through back then. Um, but what really happened for me was 
I got stuck on guard duty one time in the middle of the desert uh, with one person. It was just two people, me and this other guy. Well, everybody else is gone. We're out there with all the tanks and all the gear and everything's out there. And this guy starts talking to me. Well, of course, here I am, life of the party. I'm Mr. Uh, I'm Mr. Happy Guy. Mr. Come on over to my place and let's. We've got a whirlpool and we'll drink. Right, all this crazy guy. And the guy I'm stuck with, he's a Christian. Not only is he a Christian, he was a former drug dealer up in up in Boston. So he knew drugs and he knew he knew crazy, and he knew Jesus. And uh, he started to share share Jesus with me while I was out there, and um, I listened. I didn't respond while I was out there. I, I did listen, and he definitely planted some seeds. Um, I just was, I guess I was really confused at that time in my life because I didn't know what I wanted, what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be, and I knew that I couldn't get drunk enough or high enough anymore, that it wasn't satisfying me anymore. I felt like there was this void, and uh, there was. I hate to sound so cheesy, cliche, Christian easy stuff, but it was it was definitely there, and um it, it just kind of, it made sense to me. And the one thing that God used in that, because I'm such a relational guy, life of the party, everybody likes me, what's wrong with nobody doesn't, right? This guy wouldn't get close to me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't get friends. He wouldn't be friendly with me. He would be friendly, but he wouldn't get closer to me. He wouldn't hang out, do anything like that. And it really, really bothered me. I was like, what, what's wrong? Why would this guy want to hang out with me? People, I'm a nice guy. People like me. What's wrong with me, right? So I'm taking it personally, and I kept thinking, what's wrong? And, he, and finally, one day, he told me, he says, look, I, I can't be for you what you want me to be because I'm not willing to cross that line. And I thought, holy smokes, what the heck's he talking about? Cross the line. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with me? And uh, we went back out for a mission, and we were out uh late one night and getting ready to go out the next morning. And I, I had wrote a, uh, written a note to him and took it over to his vehicle and walked away. And the note was basically saying some of the lines that I said, you know, I, I really would enjoy a relationship and be friends with you. I want to know more about you and more what, what you're like and what you do and how you're able to do what you do. And I really believe that there's nothing else, else left for me to do, but to give my life to Jesus. I don't know what that means or what that is, but I'm ready to do it. So within a matter of minutes, you know, heard a knock on my vehicle door and I look up there and there he is. He says, come with me. Okay. Guy says, come with me. After he doesn't want to hang out, I'm going. So we go yeah. walking. We walk to the top of a mountain out to the middle of the desert. I don't know if you've ever been to a desert before in the middle of the night, but there is no light pollution in the middle of a desert. And when you're in the middle of a desert and it's dark, you can see a billion stars you've never seen a sky like you've ever had seen the sky in the desert right so it was a gorgeous night full moon we actually went to the top of this mountain this sounds so like hallmark but it's so true we go to the top of this mountain and the moon is beaming full beam right to the peak where the mountain's at we stand there underneath this beam of moonlight he grabs my hands and prays with me and i give my life to christ i mean i am the guy who literally had the mountaintop experience that was me i mean i was up there the whole lights everything but i'm the guy who was the drug addict the alcoholic life of the party sex with every every girl i could possibly find i mean all that kind of stuff right i'm telling you what that that moment I was delivered from everything. 
I had no longer the desire for anything else, drugs, alcohol, smoking cigarettes. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day at that point in my life. Everything was taken away. Um, and then I had this insatiable hunger for the Bible. I wanted to start reading scriptures because I wanted to be, you know, learn what this guy knew. If he knows all these scriptures, I want to know these scriptures. And it really came out to me in Psalms where he says to, um, to trust in the Lord, right? And to to give him, if you trust him and delight in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I realized that I hated all the stuff that I was going through. And what he really did was he took one desire that I had, several, and he replaced it with something else. And at that time in my life, it was reading the Bible. And I just started getting scriptures after scriptures. I was going, going to town with scriptures, reading stuff. Not that I really understood what they all meant, because I was really young and the Lord really beginner, right? But I was, I was getting it in there. And then I started learning, right? I got I got to move into, at that point, I was the only white boy in an all-black church. And uh, I was the anointed announcement guy. I got to make the announcements. I was like, wow, I got to make the announcements the church, right? Yeah. So I go up there, I go, hey, everybody, I'm making the announcements. Like, Mr. Life at a Party, today at 5 o'clock, we're going over to Evangelist Sally's house for dinner. Woo, I'll be making, I'm putting all my effort in these announcements. They're all cracking up. It was hilarious. Um, but then within a matter of, of short period of time, within maybe a couple of weeks of my my ex, my experience in, in giving my life to Christ, uh, the pastor of the church that I was going to invited me to live with him and his family. And I was, I left the bachelor pad and I moved in with him. And it was really, uh, I think it was a, a life-changing moment for me that solidified my experience with Jesus. I don't know if I had not moved in with him that I would have still be here today. I wow. think I might have failed. Um, but I needed that kind of support because of the addictions that I had in my life, the problems I was dealing with. And, and I needed somebody and he was there for me pretty much day and night anytime I needed him and we would talk and talk and pray. And he taught me how to study the Bible. I mean, so many great things that happened in that relationship that I'll never forget. Um, so that's really what kind of launched me into who I am today. And you take all those passions that I have, all that excitement I have, all the things I've been through in my life, that, that moment with drugs and alcohol, you asked, what was that biggest obstacle? That was really the biggest hurdle at that time that I've ever had to overcome. And I believe that set the stage for, a lot of the other obstacles that I've faced in my life. And I've faced some doozies. Um, I haven't got through them all well, um, but I do know I do know some of the things that I need to do to get through them. And then there's some other areas, honestly, I'm still learning. I'm learning some other areas that I never thought I'd have to face. And, and uh, God has been, as he always has been, very gracious and always provided me some kind of a way out, some kind of a way out is a wrong term, some kind of a way through or over. Um, Cause I don't believe God ever gives us a way out. I think that, uh, you know, that one thing people say all the time, well, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. Well, sorry to say this one, maybe bleep it, but that's a bunch of BS, right? Cause if God never gave us anything more we can handle, Jesus wasted his time hanging on the cross and getting bloodied to death, right? Here's the deal. We need him so desperately. That's why he came, right? I can't do this without him. You can't do this without yeah. him. It's impossible. The only way I can do that is through through what he's done for me and how he's how he's in my life now, right? So um, I've learned that lesson the hard way, but I've learned it. And now it's part of who I am. And I'm able to, I believe I've been able to tenaciously hold on to certain things at certain moments in my life that Somehow, some way, he's going to bring somebody or something into my life that's going to help me learn something to get to the next place.
and overcome that next obstacle. You mentioned the scripture that the Lord will not put on us more than, than we can bear. And I've used that. And, and, and I was just thinking about something as you were talking about that to be, to get stronger, you have to lift more weight than you think you can lift. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to do it because if, if, if that, you know, death is unbearable, but yet we still go through death. You talked about losing someone very close to you and your family and being in that moment. I, I lost my dad. Death is um, is an unbearable thing because death is permanent. It, 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 you know, they'll, they'll never be back in that form. But I do know this, that life goes on. And, and you know something, there are good things that come from bad things. There are, there are just, there are blessings that come. And now, you know, Matt, and I don't mean to turn this, but I want to share this with somebody before I ask you for your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. I feel like there's somebody that's listening to you and I talk today that's walking through something. And I want to share something with you in this moment that the Bible tells us that weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And man, I can, I can tell you that now I miss my dad, but when I think about my dad, I am grateful. My heart is full. My, I, re, I rejoice at the life that my dad and I had and, and what he poured into me. I'm grateful. And when I talk about my dad now, it is of a, a gratitude and a place. Of, and, and I could see as you were sharing about the young lady that you ministered at her funeral. I believe you mentioned her name was Kay. Yeah, that's her nickname for me. Kay. And so, you know, God used her to minister to your family and the time and the blessings, the way that she blessed your family will always be with you and it will always bless you. Matt, I feel like this is the right time for you to share a piece of intentional encouragement or your biggest piece of intentional encouragement with this audience, whatever you feel that the Lord has put on your heart this morning, go ahead and, and share it with this audience. Yeah. You brought up a scripture and that scripture is actually first Corinthians 10, 13 that says no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted beyond your means, but will always provide a way of escape, right? That never means that you're not going to go through something. I've learned that lesson. It never means that. What it means is that when you realize that you're going through something, Here's the, here's the cool part of that crappy moment of your life. When you realize you're going through something, you're probably about halfway through it. So you can just keep on pressing because it's almost over and you're about to be an overcomer, right? doesn't mean that the overcoming is going to be a great moment in your life, but it means it's possible. Instead of just quitting, I'll tell you a little story about a bird called a sparrow. Here's something really interesting. These little tiny birds, little sparrows, um, they're one of the only birds on the planet that when a storm comes, most birds go to the trees, they find some kind of shelter, they wait it out, right? These little sparrows, these little tiny little things, they go to the storm and they start flying and they start flying through. They go right into the storm and they fly through it to get to the other side. Let me tell you what happens to a sparrow 
this little tiny sparrow that goes through this freaking hard storm and gets to the other side, they will always come out stronger on the other side of the storm than they did going in. It just took tenacity. It took faith. And it took drive to do something like that. And here's the thing. Anything's possible, good or bad. And in the midst of those moments, the only way you're going to be able to get through it is to go through it. And yet it sucks. I've been through, I can sit here and we could talk for the rest of the day about stuff that I've been through that has been horrible. I'm sure that you can too, Brian. I'm sure anybody here listening can. Um, And maybe you can remember and reflect back on some of the places where you felt like you had been, uh, it had been hard, but you got through, right? Um, So first of all, believe you can. It's possible. For me, and I happen to be a follower of Jesus, not everybody is. We talked a lot about him today, and I'm glad too. Um, But maybe you're not. And you don't know what that feels like, or you think that I'm full of crap or whatever. I get it. That's I understand. I do understand. For, I'm, I've experienced something in my life personally that that has carried me for over 30 years. I, I just knew that it was true. I know it's true. I've had an experience. You can too. And, and it starts with believing. And for me, that place to believe that I could do something, that I could get through something. I had the abilities given in my life. There are some things about me that are good, right? I don't have to, it's not a boastful thing. There's certain things about me that are good. I do have certain abilities and so do you. And there's other things I'm really not good at. <laughs> I need help. And the biggest thing when you believe is to also be able to ask for help. And when you can believe and ask for help, I think that's when transformation can occur in ways you never could have imagined. So one, don't ever give up. I know that sounds cheesy too, but it's true. Um, Believe in yourself and ask for help. Yeah, man, so good. So good. Matt, I I love what you shared there just a minute ago. And it was was spot on and ordained. And I'm just so, so grateful that. Tell folks where they can find you. I know a lot of people know where you're at already, but for those that may be watching and listening that aren't connected or, or, or don't know where you're at, tell folks where they can find you. Well, pretty easy. You have to TV, right? <laughs> I love it. Shameless TV. plugs, man. We're you all know, about it. I'm just saying MattCrump.tv. Or uh, my, my social media playground is LinkedIn. And I am there every day, and I've got some incredible relationships and great friends there and uh, a powerful network of people. I've got hundreds and hundreds of videos and resources there for free that I think could be very helpful for you if you want to check them out. Um, but you can find me there on my website, easiest place to find me, and I'd be more than happy to connect with anybody that wants to. And if you're looking for uh, some guy who's been through the ringer and, and uh, he's flown through the storm, he's on the other side. I don't know everything, but I, I can help you with some things I've learned, right? I tell people all the time, look, I know everything not to do. I know everything not to do perfect. Yeah. So I, I made every mistake you could possibly imagine, probably going to make some more. So if you listen to me about what not to do, you'll be the most successful, successful person on the planet Earth. So I'm more than willing to help you out. You just got to reach out to me. and We can talk about what that looks like for a coaching consultant relationship. Hey, I'm telling you, and you were talking about something a minute ago, and I started to jump in and say, Matt, you know, my initials are BS, right? You know, so I, I mean, you know, you put, I was telling somebody at church yesterday, I said, my initials are BS. You put two and two together, you know? So Matt Crump, what a, what a joy it's been to have you. And uh, I'm so grateful that you shared your story with us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate the time. Thanks for bringing me here. 
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.